So without further ado, we have a guest speaker today, Donna St. Louis. And Don, yes, you hear the clapping, there's clapping in there. Um, and um, just very grateful. I've met Donna many times and um, she actually has spoken to TransFinder several times, our sales team. And she is quoted more than you realize, Donna. I'm in sales meetings every morning and afternoon. I'm missing one right now. Um, and uh, uh, basically um, her principles about really, I think I can, you know, seeing things in a different way, you know, mm -hmm. um, taking a step back sometimes and what you always do um, and, and, and changing things up. So Donna, I, I'm going to give you really an, op an open-ended question. First of all, just if you could just start by telling them what you do, tell them a little bit about um, your business. And then I want to go into your career path, how you got to where you are, because a this is an entrepreneurship class. Some want to start businesses. Some don't want to start businesses. But I think at the heart of it all, they all want to be somewhat entrepreneurial or intrapreneurial within their businesses. Um, so I think you're inspiring because you are very entrepreneurial. So, but for just starters, just tell them who it is that's on our screen with the awesome backdrop there. <laughs> hey, how are you guys doing? My name is Donna St. Louis. Um, what do I do now? What I do right now is I actually, the moniker of my company is I help people have financial freedom from corporate colonization. This does not mean that I think people should quit their jobs. It means that you, uh, you should do your job so well that you're not beholden to your company, but your company is beholden to you. If you decide that you want to be an entrepreneur, because not everyone is made, made honestly to work at a company, that you have a blueprint in, in, which to, uh, in which to become an entrepreneur. So I do a couple of things. I have an entrepreneurial blueprint that I actually developed back 26 years ago. It is um, taught in universities um, in Egypt, mainly. That's one of my main hubs. And, um, and what I do is I go around and I teach people the different uh, aspects. So I teach marketing, I teach sales, I teach the entrepreneurial journey. Um, I teach, I work with organizations in order to facilitate conversations like strategic conversations. So I'm basically like a peak performance business coach that helps you get, whether you just get started and you wanna be an entrepreneur or you're starting out in business and you wanna figure out how to go forward. So I help people figure out that that path and that journey. That's awesome. That is, um, so like, are you, like, I guess, you know, did you have like, um, like an epiphany or have you always been upbeat? Cause every time I've met you, you've always been upbeat. Um, <laughs> but we all have bad days too. So right. when yeah. you have oh, this, yeah, sure. like, did you, so did you have a traditional career? Were you in a corporate setting at one point yeah. and then said, I am an, I, this is another manic. Yeah, no, I, I totally had a job. I had a regular job. I, um, my very first job was working in customer service. Um, the challenge that I ran into was that business seemed to always move a little too slow for me. Right. I'm very much like, and, and some of that came from not understanding, like not understanding all of the strategy that had to go behind something. And so I tended to move a lot faster. So in my very first job, when I worked as a uh, customer service rep, I hated sending customers bills. At the time, everything wasn't online and customers would have to call in and I'd have to fax them their freaking bill. And I thought this was the worst thing ever. 
And so I decided to go pick up this book. I started reading it. It was, it was this book called Excel for Professionals. I read this book, literally read it. Like I would read a tech book, like you read a novel. Like I'd be like, oh my God. Like to me, it was like reading Harry Potter or something. I was like, oh my God. And then you know what happened? And people would be like, seriously, it's Excel. It's just, like, what are you doing? <laughs> I, but I would be so excited about it. Well, anytime I would read something, I'd have to put it into action. So by the time I got to the end of the book, they had all this programming in there, all this code. I didn't even know it was code, but I was doing every lesson that was in the book and the book was huge. So when I got to the end of it, I decided to apply one of the lessons to what if I could have the customer's bill automatically sent to them without them ever calling me. So I made this, I wrote this program and instead of having, you know, a hundred customers a day call me, I had maybe five customers and they were new customers a day call me and because everybody else was automatically getting their bill. And so that was like the very first time that I was just like, I got to do something. I was that person who, if I saw a problem or I saw an opportunity and I could figure it out, then I was going to go for it. So I always think everything is figure outable. It's just, do I want to go for it? And I went for it a lot. <laughs> I, I love that. And so we talk about this a lot, right? I mean, that what business exists for is to solve problems. So Donna, right. you could have not done that. You could have not fixed. I could have gone and worked in the accounting department. Like, you know what I mean? Or I could have complained about it every day, which is what a lot of people do. They just complain about the problem. And I'm like, but what if I could use this problem as an opportunity to learn something and go do something? So that's what I did. I was like, and, and let, let me, let's not get it twisted. Let's not get it twisted at all. I was not working within the confounds of my confines of my organization. I worked in customer service. There was no way in hell I was supposed to be doing that, but I did it anyway. And you will hear me say that a lot that I do it anyway. Um, and, uh, and it just happened to work out. I could have very easily have also gotten fired for doing the same thing. So, okay. well, here's, I had this, there's this theory. I don't know if you guys remember the show, Donna, you may remember a show called mash. And um, Masters about, you know, a surgical um, hospital in Korea, you know, for the, for the Korean War. And Hawkeye is like the star of the show. And he's like this, like, amazing surgeon. And so he could get away with pretty much everything. He wore Hawaiian shirts. He just had a lot of bad habits. But you know what? He was such a crackerjack that they had to put up with him. Now, you have to be so exceptional because if you're going to be someone that messes up with the team there, sometimes you can be so great, but it doesn't matter. You're still messing up with the team, but he was a team player. Don't get me wrong. The point of the matter is Donna, it sounds like you were, you, it was successful. And you right. know what? You're not going to fire success, you know? Right. And, and there's sometimes that I did stuff that it, it wasn't successful, but it, but I did it anyway. You know what I mean? And by the way, that, that character Hawkeye from mash, he actually got, not him, but that character got recast as Dr. House. Oh. Has anybody ever seen House? Yeah. So that yeah. character bought, was brought back to life in House. And that's another thing you'll see in marketing and advertising, that things are done over and over and over again. Just like the, um, oh my gosh, the M&Ms are based on... Um, do you guys know the M&Ms like green M&M, which is my favorite, like she's the hottie, she has it going on, um, right? The M&Ms are based on, um, oh God, I want to say it's Little Rascals. I actually know the guy who's working on it. 
Oh, but really? it's from like the 19, yeah, it's from like the 1920s, 30s. It's based on those characters. Well, the Flintstones those, are, are the based on uh, the Honeymooners. The no. Flintstones are based on the Honeymooners, Yeah. right? So a lot of the things that you watch, even from a marketing and advertising perspective, are not because they're that's marketed first trust me that's marketed before they put money behind it and that's advertised and that's tested and test marketed and everything that all of this stuff is repeated it's repeated over and over and over again and so even when i look at marketing and advertising i always look at well what did someone already do and how can i reframe that in a new way to do it myself that's a good point i remember hearing this one story and i'm trying to remember who it was now it was a guy who was I don't know if it was Bob Hope or someone back, you know, back from the vaudeville days and the way he would, um, and I, I don't think it's Bob Hope, but I, I'm now I'm drawing a blank, but what he would do to draw crowds to his show, his live stage show was he would call the various hotels um, the day of his show and, and have the, um, the hotel people like say like paging Bob Hope, paging Bob Hope, you know, um, you're needed before your show t today. And it actually would, you know, promote it <laughs> that way. You know, that's pretty, that's called guerrilla marketing. You know, that's a right. guerrilla marketing approach of doesn't cost anything. I heard one school, we had a, see, um, very, it's a Brown school. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Brown school, very small schools, um, very pretty expensive schools and um, very, they didn't have a marketing budget at all. So what this one principal did was before when you looked like there was going to be a snowstorm, it was going to be, it was pretty obvious it was going to be a, a bad snowstorm. She would call in the snow day first so that it's scrolling on the TV screens before anybody else made that call. I'm like, who thinks of a snow day as a marketing opportunity? Donna would, but that's pretty good, right, Donna? I mean, that's right, pretty close. Yeah. Right. So, um, so, Tell me about when you then left the security, because you had to at some point leave a secure job, right? To do right. what you're doing. Can you walk us right. through that? And by the way, if any of you have questions, I have the chat up. Um, okay, so I know Brenda's leaving. Um, if you have a question, you can either go to chat, raise your hand. I think Donna would probably rather or hear. Or just jump you. in. Just, just, just jump ask in. me. Yeah. So just, yeah. Because um, we, want, we want you to, anything she says, just wait for her to kind of finish the thought, but then Let's get to some questions. But um, Donna, that moment when, if you don't mind, can you talk a little bit about what went through your mind yeah. and how you kind of came to that decision? Well, well, the way that the way it happened was there was an evolution. It wasn't like I went from customer service to CEO. Um, actually, what happened was I had got when when I had started doing all this stuff in IT, the the CEO of that organization moved me like literally within 48 hours he moved me over into it because he's like what are you doing over here in customer service what was funny is that was my first job i was homeless before that so that was my very first job and so oh, we got to back up there at some point but go yeah. ahead <laughs> yeah so i was homeless and then this was my first job and i didn't know how to write code i didn't even know what code was i literally read a book and applied so i would tell you guys the number one thing ever if I had to ever give anyone a piece of advice, like they're always like, what is that advice? Anytime you read something, do something with it. Don't just learn it and know it. Do something with it immediately. Um, I, when I struggled in marketing, I went and got the best marketing book ever written called Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene Schwartz. Best marketing, best marketing book ever, ever, ever. 
And, and so anytime you're going to read something, do something with it. And I did that my entire career that it led me into being a heavy hitter in IT. There is technology that you use on your computer right now today that I developed. So I've, I worked as a consultant in the IT whole tech.com era. Then what happened was my business partner, who was, uh, he was a pilot in the Navy, you know, one of, I mean, one of those like fighter pilots in the Navy, he had graduated from college. He, you know, graduated from the Naval Academy. We're now working together and he decides he's going to get his master's degree. I am the person who is working with him and helping him with his homework because he never liked to write anything. He never liked to do his homework. I love doing homework because I'm, I'm always curious. I'm curious about everything. Like if there's something I don't understand, I don't know how to do it. I want to figure it out. Like even this studio is literally me going, mm, I think I can build that. And then just building it. You know what I mean? And not just building it, like screwing up a lot, by the way, screwing up a lot along the way <laughs> to get to That's this okay. point. Yeah. But no, I need to screw up along the way to know all the things not to do. So it's fine. Like people like don't fail, no fail. Just fail fast forward and often get it over with. <laughs> um, yes, but anyway, great. I, he had a, he had a project that he was working on and what we wanted to do was we truly believed there was a DNA associated with all business and every business had this exact same DNA. We needed to prove it. And we could have done like all kind of market tests and case studies and all that other stuff and gone and interview people. But we decided the number one way to guarantee that he got an A was to build, to start a little consulting business. And it was supposed to be like a little six month project. Um, it ended up, and it was a little six month project. It was a $4 million business intelligence project. Wow. The challenge was that we had, we had sold it for $4 million. The problem was it was gonna cost $6 million, which means we were $2 million in the hole and immediately recognized that we had to go and get at least two more projects to cover the shortfall in this project. So now we have these three consulting contracts and we're going, we can't, we can't do three consulting contracts and work 40 hours a week. So that's literally how we started our business. It was not like I said that, like I said, you know what we should do? We should go and start a $250 million consulting company. No, it was like, you know what we should do? We should do like a little project to prove our theory. That's, that's literally that's what we were doing. No, it really is <laughs> that saying of necessity is the motherhood of, uh, or the mother. Oh of my invention. God, the necessity is the total mother of in invention. Cause we would have been two, $2 million in the hole because we had not, although we put it in the contract, we had not priced for all of the hardware the company was going to need. So we were on the hook for the hardware. So we were like, holy crap, we didn't even think about the hardware. And so now we got to buy all this hardware and we got to pay people to help us with this project. I'm like, we're $6 million, dude. <laughs> we're $6 million. I don't know about you. I don't have an extra two laying around for you to get your degree. So I was like, that ain't going to happen. So we had to go and get a couple of extra projects. And so then it, you know, and, and I was not a salesperson and I was not a marketing person, but you know what? I had to learn sales and I had to learn marketing really, really fast. Wow. Wow. So, and how, how did that story end? We sold our company um, 13 years later for $250 million dollars. We, um, it was so funny because we were actually at that point where 
we're a business intelligence company, which means that we predict the future of business. So one of the reasons we're, we're the people behind, um, I, and this is going to be a long time ago, but there used to be Blu-ray CDs and there used to be HD Panasonic CD uh, DVDs. We were the people who made Blu-ray. <laughs> Okay. We had the business intelligence and they were literally 50, 50. It was a coin toss. And we were like, yeah, but Sony's one of our clients. So we're going to go blue. Wow. <laughs> That's wow. literally how that happened. Um, Cause we had the big, big box stores. Um, so anyway, we, we had a choice. We could see the future of business. We saw that there was about to be a big bus. We had made it through the dot-com bus, but we didn't think we were going to we could have rode the housing market crisis. We could have, um, but we knew that coming out on the other side, because on the other side of the dot-com boom, we got so big. And then we knew that on the other side of the housing market crisis, because we had so many government contracts that we would have been huge. And while that sounds great for everyone, when I tell you I am a true entrepreneur, a true entrepreneur is not really interested in a gigantic business, they're interested in starting businesses and getting those businesses to a certain point and getting out and going and doing something new. That's true. A lot of them really can't yeah. stand like once the, the systems start to come in place and you have to have a employee handbook, it's time to go. You're like, done. Oh my God. I was so done. I was like, we're going to have a board of directors, which is like, I'm going to have a boss. That is not going to work for me. Like, I was like, I can never have a boss ever, ever, ever. I know what I can't do. Someone telling me what to do is not going to happen. And so See, and that's a beautiful thing. I think that when you realize, and I think, you know, and what this is a good picture for um, students, you got to realize is we're all wired differently. And so sometimes yeah. trying to make it work. Well, you know, she knows, and like, I know many CEOs I've interviewed who said, you know, like um, there's a big, there's certain different businesses have different breaks, but like when you get those first 10 employees to 25 to hundred, and then, and even the people you hire, some people like being hired by a startup where the rules are being made up on the fly. And then there are some who are like, when the company's hundred, that's their sweet spot. They don't right. like not knowing that I get five vacation days and right. you know, here's the policies and that kind of thing. Yeah, I couldn't stand that. I, and I've worked for both. I've worked for very, very, very large companies. I worked for an insurance company. I was an executive vice president. I worked for that company after, let me tell you, let me tell you one thing never to do. If you ever decide to become CEO of your own company and that company gets somewhat successful, do not go and work for someone else again, especially not at a big company. Oh my gosh. The worst thing I did was go and work for a company after I was a CEO and I was an executive vice president. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you guys lack the testicular fortitude and the ovarian audacity to actually make a decision. I can't do this. How <laughs> so long did it, it take just, you to realize I can't do this? Um, I, I realized it, I realized it when, and, and this is no offense to the guys at all. I realized it when the guy who was my boss, he was the president, right? I was an executive vice president who was supposed to be giving me my review after being there for three months tells me that his biggest problem with me is how intimidating I am. And I asked him, I said, wait, am I intimidating or are you intimidated by me? Because those are two very different things. And I'm just wondering where the responsibility really lies. And he goes, just this line of questioning is intimidating. And I just stared at him until he apologized. 
So then at that point, I was like, this is not going to work out. (laughs) (laughs) That is You know, I like something Donna just said. Um, Beyond the illustration, it also says that sometimes, how often, and I, you know, as a younger person, maybe would just answer the question when really Donna, what I love about what she did was, um, and if you do this, I think you'll be, it'll serve you well, is to take a step back. She actually took in exactly what he said and said, hang on a minute. Or am I, um, you don't like that I'm intimidating or are you intimidated by me? And you could take that in lots of other areas in your life, maybe where somebody will ask you a question and, you know, Donna, you said something that kind of reminded me of something. One of my first jobs out of college, it was a, you know, actually it wasn't right out of college, it was about eight years out of college, um, working for a um, fairly large newspaper in Westchester. And before I went into my interview, the HR woman who was wonderful, I don't know why she said this, but I never forgot it. She said, um, by the way, don't forget, you're interviewing us just as much as we're interviewing you. She put me at ease. I'll never, I, I wish I knew her name because because um, she changed my life that day because it made me not going with swag, but a little bit more like I'm not going in there with um, like, you know, this desperation, but actually that I had some control in this too. And that, you have power. I, I, is that a good fit for me? Not right. just, so I'm sorry, but I like what Donna just said about take a step back and actually do some analysis on the fly. So keep going. I'm sorry. Well, it's funny that you say that because here's something to remember, especially if you are ever looking for a job. So the person who you're interviewing with got a thousand resumes for your position, which means they have one in 1000 chances of getting this right. Just one in 1000. So their chances of getting it right are not that good. And now what they are in is they're in the position of having to ask all the right questions, say all the right things, like they're in that position to have to do that. So if you could take the pressure off of them by walking in and asking the questions and not making them interview you, but interviewing them, first of all, they're gonna be like, oh my God, thank you, thank you. Because now they feel better, they feel differently. That's number one. And then listen, I've done 50 interviews, not for, not as, person looking for a job but even when I was interviewing clients like they they thought they were interviewing me I was interviewing them and I've never failed one of them every interview that I took control of I got it so my point is if you take control of the interview if you turn the tables if you ask them the questions I asked one lady I said listen you've been here for 13 years what's going on in this organization that makes you want to stay here What are the biggest frustrations that you deal with on a regular basis, not only with your work, but with the people that you work with, because we all know it's about the people that you work with. What is the fallout for this organization if you weren't here tomorrow, if you decided not to show up and how would they handle that? Just asking her those kind of questions, she was just like, no one's ever asked me that from the other side of the table. And I'm like, well, it would tell me a lot about the organization. That's awesome. So taking control of it, and I've done that from my very first interview. Taking control of the interview makes a big difference. I think you guys already in this very brief interview, I mean, you're already seeing that there's no place for passivity. You know what I mean? Like waiting for things. You know, we didn't hear the story yet from homelessness at first job. Um, (laughs) But obviously there was effort. That's a longer story. (laughs) Um, But, you know, even reading the Excel book and all these other things, it's about you taking ownership 
you, you know, you talk about like when you read things, putting it into practice right away and, you know, even putting the studio together and I'm going to, and, and not being afraid to make a mistake along the way, but to, but still there's, there's movement, movement, movement. Well, well, so let me, let me correct that just a little bit. No, no, no. It's okay to be afraid. In fact, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You should be, you should be afraid along the way. You should be terrified. Um, I tell people all the time, it takes courage. It does not take fearlessness. You need courage. Like when I'm going, when I've gone into interviews, I'm not sitting there going, I got this. I don't go in there thinking, I don't even think that when I get on stage. Right. I told, I told Rick, I'm like, I don't feel like I'm like, I got this. I'm like, no, I feel like I got to have the courage to make sure I bring everything. Because if I come in here with too much ego, then you guys get nothing. Like you get nothing. You know what I mean? I I think I heard the definition of courage is like, it's, you know, doing something, you know, even doing something hard or whatever, maybe even when you are afraid, it's not like, you know, being oblivious to the fact that, you know, you know, something is scary, taking a hill, you know, in battle, they're probably all scared, but they're doing it anyway. Do it anyway. That's, that's my motto. Do it anyway, no matter what it is, do it anyway. So, um, one, so I want them to know, by the way, I mean, you're not going to say this, so I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to do it. Um, you have some pretty massive clients that they would all know. So can you give us a little sense of that? And how did you, and how did, (laughs) that portfolio grow to the place where you would get, and I don't want to give them away. So I'll let you, but you know, obviously you have to deliver the good. So you, right, you know, right, they, right. what's the expression there? The harder you work, the luckier you get. Um, right, right, right. Yeah, tell right. About who your clients are and how you got scored some of them. So um, a little company, you may have heard of it. It's like a tech company called Microsoft. So they're one of my clients. Um, if you like coffee specifically from Starbucks, that's one of my clients. Um, a lot of the major credit cards, um, like Discover, for example, is one of my clients. Um, but one of my favorite clients, believe it or not, has to do exactly with what you were talking about today. And it's the National Association of Broadcasters. So literally people who do marketing and advertising all day long, that's one of my biggest clients. And I do help them with marketing and advertising quite often. <laughs> How did you grow that portfolio? How did you get Microsoft, Starbucks, you know, Discover? How you know you what? That? I will tell you, this is the thing that I learned that, you know, the, the person who is picking people from Microsoft, when they get up in the morning, it's crazy. They brush their teeth, they wash their face, they take a shower and they put on pants. The same exact way that, well, I brush my teeth round and round, they might go back and forth. But other than that, we're pretty much doing the same thing. And what they're really looking for is, everybody's looking for the same thing when they hire you. For no matter what they hire you for, everybody's looking for the same thing, for you to make them look like a superstar. If you can remember that, you can go after any client, any client. Um, the one client that most people don't know about because it's so private is I have this billionaire consortium over in Boston that, um, and they are literally a group of billionaires and they do a whole lot of venture capital funding and getting money and all that other stuff. Um, and they're probably one of my largest clients that very few people talk about because there's only 13 of them. And I literally teach them how to go in and um, influence buyers to give them more money, to give them more capital. And don't they know that already? 
So how, what do you bring to the table? And I know you do. So tell me what you do and how you're not intimidated going in front of this group of wealthy individuals. Oh, so the question that you have to ask yourself is, what is this? So, so I want you to imagine, I'll tell you what I give them, but then I want you to ask yourself this question. So you're going in for anything, anything that you're going for. And I want you to imagine that your ideal client, and I'm sure you guys have talked about target markets and ideal clients and marketing. So I want you to imagine that ideal client, that ideal target that you're going after, that ideal customer. And I want you to imagine that customer has money, they have time, and they can live the life that they want to live. What is the one thing that you can bring to the table that will make things better? Whatever that is. So for me, I have the, I've created something called the seven languages of influence. And so I literally teach them how to speak the seven languages of influence. And what they've done is, and it's not going to sound like a big number, but for billionaires, it's a big number. They've increased their portfolio by 7% year over year since I've worked with them. Since they're billionaires, it's quite a bit of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I'm, it I got to renegotiate my contract though, because I need a percentage. <laughs> Does somebody have a Actually, question? That gets, another, that gets me to another question I want to get to a little bit about your pricing. And I know that you, you, you know, at some point you're like, how do you under, you don't want to undersell yourself, but then you wonder like, well, how do you come up with the right? Oh, there's a big, yeah, with that. Did you a little bit early on where you're like, were they yeah. really me that much? And yeah, I totally screwed that up. Yeah. At the beginning, I totally screwed that up. I can Go tell ahead. you the secret. Tell me a little bit about that process. So, so the, so here's, here's what people do is that we go in and we, for, and we say, you know what? I have to sell this. Oh, I wish I, oh, I have on up here. Okay. Um, you know how people go in and they say, I want to sell something for cheap so I can get a lot of customers, right. right? So you guys recognize red bottom shoes? Okay. How much does a pair of red bottom shoes cost? I'm the wrong guy to ask that question. Anybody I know. I, 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 trust me, I wasn't asking you. I was asking them. They know. <laughs> Go ahead. How much? Yep. Two thousand, more. $1,500, $2,000. Yeah, absolutely. You can't get a pair for under 500 bucks. Not even like a pair of flip-flops. You can't get a pair for under $500, right? Christian Louboutin came up with putting red bottoms, red bottom soles on his shoes because he had these great vaudeville type, just very elaborate shoes, super uncomfortable, except for the pair I got on, super uncomfortable. <laughs> and and um, his secretary, his assistant was painting her nails red. And he took that nail polish and he put on the bottom of those shoes, right? So all of a sudden people were like, ooh, it was different. He did not price his shoes for pay less. So let me ask this question. If you wear, and you don't have to wear heels by the way, but you guys know a pair, of, they're a $2,000 pair of shoes, right? Who would like a pair? Who would like me to just, who would love a pair? a pair of them, right? Just, you know, nice little, just to like, if you know you're wearing that, you're wearing that outfit and then you're like, right? It doesn't matter if you can't afford it. If you get a chance to get them and like you, even if you get them for a deal, you're just like, oh my God, I got them, right? He did not price them for pay less. He did not price them for Walmart. He priced them way up. So that way, anybody who gets them is excited to have them. So that was one of the lessons that I learned. 
what I did was I stopped pricing myself for everyone and I started only pricing myself for someone. So if someone got me for a deal, they were happy to throw money at me. So I'll give you guys some real numbers. I get paid $20,000 for an hour, for one hour of my time. Okay. That's the value right now, guys. So you already, your tuition and your master's degree <laughs> and your doctorate. I don't, wait, what is the girl's name with the bow? Because I love her right now. <laughs> Sydney. <laughs> Sydney. <laughs> she, she's like, okay. But here's the thing, Sydney. I had, I had not paid, I had not priced myself at that rate before. And so this is what would happen. And I'm going to just show you guys this. When I priced myself, and I'm going to show you how it shows up in the market as well. When I priced myself at, at, let's say the going rate in the market. Okay. So when I priced myself at the going rate in the market, I used to have to negotiate for, for dollars. And so let's say I said, oh, it's $10,000. They're like, well, maybe we can give you 3,500. Right. So, you know, a big gap between 10,000 and 3,500. And I was trying to get to 10. And so then I said, you know what? My price is 20. And now people are going, oh my God, we don't have 20, but we have 15. And so just by putting my number at a different spot, all of a sudden people were like, I don't have Everybody 20, but to, I have 15. They all want to feel like they're getting it, like they negotiated. They want to feel like they negotiated. I was just trying to get to 10. Now they're throwing 15 and 20. They, Microsoft has no problem, by the way, when I say 20, they're like, cool. I was like, okay, <laughs> maybe it should be 25. <laughs> that is awesome. I but we see this, but we also see this in the, in the market, right? We see this for, again, a pair of Christian Louboutin shoes. You see this for a car like, you know, the BMW i8, you see it for the Bentley. People who walk in and buy a Bentley, a Porsche, a, a Bentley, a Ferrari, a Lamborghini are not walking in to negotiate very much, right? They're walking in and going, yeah, I want a Ferrari, like, right? So by, by changing your mind about price, when you change your mind about price and putting price at a, put, setting your price a little higher, you're also gonna get a different market so right now, I'll give you a perfect example. I told you National Association of Broadcasters is one of my um, bigger clients. So National Association of Broadcasters was going to do this. Um, we did this um, um, webinar, this little seminar. And there were supposed to be 125 people. They ended up getting 450 people, which were online. But then with what they found is that every like most of their members, about the other 300 plus members had three to five people sitting in conference rooms watching what I was talking about. And I was talking about sales and marketing. So we ended up having about a thousand people that were watching wow. this broadcast, right? Well, one of the things that I did was I, I went like this. I said, hey guys, what is my, what do, what do I sell an hour of my keynote for? What was the number? 20,000. 20,000. And I said, I norm that's my keynote, but I know you guys have your kickoff meetings coming up. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm doing a Black Friday sale. And anybody who books me right now, but you have to book me before Thanksgiving for your sales kickoff meeting for your organization, right? I have so many emails right now that th this is this is me doing a very simple marketing 
it took me the exact same amount of time that it took right now. And I said, this is what happens if you book me before Black Friday. This is my Black Friday deal. Don't call me two days after Thanksgiving because you won't get this rate. Right. That's all I did. And what do they think? They're like, oh my God, that is the biggest value ever. And it is because Microsoft pays me, you know, they pay me 20 plus. So you're getting what Microsoft gets. Now, all of a sudden it's, it's a value thing. It's understanding your value and what you bring to the table and not being ashamed of it or, you know, timid about it. No, Um, I'm not, listen, I am not the best speaker in the world. There are people that are much better than I am, but I also know that I'm not the same as every other speaker. So I say stuff a little differently. Well, I do stuff a little differently. You said something earlier. I want to make sure I don't pass over because it was a really good point about making the people you're working for rock stars. Um, I heard this one interview with this one person and it ne- I never, I, I always remembered it. It was this idea of um, the best way to stay employed. And I think beyond employment, it could be, you know, continuing to be hired because Microsoft hasn't just asked on it. Right, no, they hired me a lot, yeah. Multiple times, is to solve their problem. You know, my job at TransFinder is to solve my boss's problem. I can't solve all, I'm not a programmer, but whatever he needs me to do, I need to solve there's a problem that needs to be solved, you know, mm-hmm. and to, to that's the, and make everybody around you look good, you know, right. um, and not in, not in an insincere way, but just, you know, so I want to talk about a really neat story. You told me one time at the office, Donna is one of those people that she passes by, like, I hope you can, I can grab her for a minute. Cause I'm going to get a story that I'm just, I'm, I'm, it's not going to leave me. Um, you told a story about a keynote going back to, you just talked about a keynote here. You were not the keynote speaker. There was somebody wow. else who was a keynote speaker. I don't want to give it away too much because I, I want you to tell it, but the, to me, the moral of the story was always be prepared. Um, always be ready. So always go, be tell, ready. tell them this story because it's a great one. So I had, the, I had, no, I don't mind at all. I had done a keynote for the NBA, the National Basketball Association. And um, so I, I'm in Orlando. I had just done this keynote for them the day before. At the time, I wasn't living in Orlando. So I was like, hey, I'm, I always, by the way, stay like a day later just in case. And I always come in a day earlier. So one keynote will take three days off my calendar. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to stay the extra day, hang out with the people a little bit and maybe go and see, you know, go see Mickey Mouse, right? Like go hang out. <laughs> So it is, I get a call in my room. It's like five something in the morning. Let me tell you, if there's nothing else that you should know about me, I am not a morning person. Like there are things happening that no one should have to experience in the morning. There are fangs, there are talons, there's lasers, there's all these things, right? There's hydras coming out of my head. And of course, when my phone rings at 530, I'm just like, oh, hell no. I don't even... I don't even acknowledge it. Clearly, they have called the wrong room. If there's a fire, I'm on the second floor, whatever, I can get out. It's fine. Go back to sleep, right? The phone rings again. I ignore it. Then finally, I get a knock on my door. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, like, what is happening? So I go to the door and there is this, this, and by the way, I'm like not even cool enough to like go and put on a robe. Like I have like the sheet wrapped around me. <laughs> like, like, I'm just like, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I really don't care. <laughs> and, and they're going, 
are you Donna St. Louis? I'm like, oh my God, did I kill someone? What? And they're going, this is, and they introduced me to these people from this other organization. And they're like, we need you, we need to talk to you about speaking. And so the mater d is like, is it okay for them to talk? And I'm like, you guys know, it's like, they've been calling me for 45 minutes. I'm like, it's 6.15 people. It's 6.15, but clearly this is important. So come on in. So they come in, I'm like, and, and here's how classy I am. I go and sit on my couch in my sheet. <laughs> Cause I'm literally trying to figure out how quickly I can get back shoes, Right. <laughs> Look, I was just like, I'm, I'm literally trying to figure out how quickly I can get me and the sheet back to my bed. So anyway, they tell me that their speaker has gotten laryngitis and that there is a keynote that's happening and a keynote time slot that's happening and they desperately need a speaker. And so I'm like, okay, so you guys will need somebody tomorrow. Cool. I'll do, do we have to do, they're like, nope, keynotes at nine. Today? <laughs> they're like, yeah. AM? In, in less than three hours? They're like, yeah, can you do it? And I'm like, yeah, I said, I have three questions that I need to ask you. I said, if you answer these three questions, I can create a keynote for you. And they're like, really? I said, wait, how long do you want the keynote to be? Now you would think in a moment of desperation, they'd be like, you know, 30, 45 minutes just to fill in the slot. We'll fill in the rest. They're like 90 minutes. I was like, dang, y'all couldn't come down on the time a little bit. Like I got to prepare for 90 minutes and like, I really? In 90 minutes? <laughs> yeah, in 90 minutes, I got to prepare for 90 minutes. Cause you know, I don't wake up like this, like to glow up, this takes like a while, right? So this has to happen and a keynote has to happen. So I'm like, okay, all right, let's do this. So I literally sit with them and I write up what the keynote is going to be. And I go, all right, I got it. And she goes, do you need slides? And I'm like, no. She goes, do you need, I'm like, no, this is what I need y'all to go get because there's gonna be an activity. So you go do your stuff. I got to go and make this look like a person and put the talons and fangs away and put on something other than a sheet because this outfit ain't going to work. <laughs> and I will be downstairs. And mind you, I can't be downstairs at nine. No, I have to be downstairs at eight. <laughs> so just, just so you guys are clear, just because the keynote starts at nine does not mean I sashay my little butt in there at nine o'clock. I got to sashay in there at eight because I got to do mic check. I got to do all these other things that happen. I got to let you the guy- Because the audience- doesn't know that you were no. asked three, you care about your product and the audience should never know that i was asked at six o'clock in the morning they should never know that they should know that they had the best experience possible period the end not the best excuses uh, experience possible with excuses not it was good bait because, you know, considering that, no, with no considerations, this should be the best good. experience possible. Well, if you want to know how I got Starbucks, one of the stories that I told during this speech, and if you go and Google it, you will, and you just Google my name and the Starbucks story. That speech, that part of that speech was delivered. That part of that speech was delivered during this 90 minutes. You have to be ready. And what do I mean by that? So in my industry, I have a collection of stories. Rick could say to me right now, hey, Donna, 
I need you to give a keynote speech for the next 45 minutes on this topic. And of course, I'm going to be like very specific. If it's not my topic, I'm be like, Rick, that's not my topic. But it is my topic. But I will say, tell me something about your audience. Let me find where we connect. Let me create that opportunity, right? So anyway, there is a, a video called Starbucks, the Starbucks story. If you, if you look it up on YouTube or whatever, it's out there a lot because people have stolen it and used it. This was the reason that Star Starbucks became one of my clients. That's and awesome. it was just about being prepared, being ready, but being ready. We have another right story now. where you were in the audience, you're wearing jeans, you're an attendant, if I remember correctly. Um, and the keynote speaker, I think it was a man, ended kind of abruptly. He ended early. Kind of came around to you in the middle of this program and asked that you, was for the national association of broadcasters so the national that the national association of broadcasters this guy was supposed to go until five and he told them he, i never this guy told them at like 3 15 he's like listen i might have like another half an hour worth of content and then i'm done and told them because your people aren't interacting enough it's not my fault i was like and the lady from the National Association of Broadcasters came over and said, hey, can you, uh, well, she actually, she didn't even ask me. She goes, she goes, I cannot believe this. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she's telling me about what the speaker did. And I'm like, do you want me to do it? You want me to close it up? And she goes, what? I'm like, do you want me to, do you want me to finish off the keynote, the last hour and 15 for you? And she goes, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you don't have to pay me for it. I'll just do it. And she just looked at me like she was dumbstruck. She goes, you, you're kidding me, right? And I'm like, no. She goes, do you need PowerPoint? What do you need? And I'm like, I need a microphone and a stage. And I literally had on jeans, red. I think I actually had on this shirt. Like I had on this shirt, jeans, red. I had on this outfit, right? You guys got to know, I usually am very dressed up for stage. I had on this outfit. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Just make sure I just mic me up. Let's go. And, and, and the guy, what was so funny was the guy was like, well, you know, I was thinking about it. I think I can go ahead and finish. She goes, no, you're done. You need to be off my stage at 345. Like she was so finished with him. And then I went on and closed it. And what was so awesome was the audience was so done with him anyway. <laughs> I hate to say that. They were done with him because he was, he, was, he was giving them a lot of, he wasn't happy with their level of participation. So he was giving them a lot of attitude. Like what is wrong seen, with you people? I think- I've been in kind of talks like that where I'm actually feeling chided because, you know, by the speaker. Yeah, because the speaker can't do their job. Yeah. It's, the, it's so, their job to engage. It's not your what, job. You don't have to. What What's really neat about this story too, to me, obviously being prepared, um, but you see Donna's, Donna's heart. Like she actually really cares about um, the client the National the Association of Broadcasters, but she also cares about the audience and she doesn't even talk about price at all, which I think probably paid off in the long run, I'm assuming, because, hey, am I going to go with somebody who actually really cares about our mission, um, not just is there for a, a, a gig, for the paid gig? Well, I can give you a number. You want a number? I'd love it. Okay. So I'm going to give you guys some numbers, okay? So um, the National Association of Broadcasters they paid me $15,000 for a keynote, for one keynote. I ended up doing two keynotes and I didn't charge them for the second one, right? So any person in business was like, well, you're a fool. And I'm like, did you miss it? I just got paid $15,000 for an hour. 
So <laughs> working an extra hour really isn't going to cause me to miss a meal. That's all I'm saying, right? So then this is what happened. So since then, since then, remember I just told you I did that deal for 10,000 for, okay. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to take this off. I did such a great job here and here that this one right here, well, the guy, there's this guy named Sam. Sam saw this keynote. He did not see this one, okay? Ooh. So he didn't see this top one. He saw the bottom one. So Sam called me and he said, hey, can you do a keynote for me right now for, you know, in, in, on the 22nd? And we're going to have like a hundred and something people. He goes, I don't have 20,000, but I do have 12 and a half. I just want you guys, when you go, well, she makes 20, she's getting, you know, raked over the coals. Guys, it's 12,000 for an hour, right? Like, I'm not really, like, come on, right? So he goes, he goes, um, can you do this for us? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it for 12 and a half. It's not a big deal. The reason I raised my raises is because I didn't want to have to negotiate anymore. All right. So now Sam gives me this deal. So you're going, oh, okay. So, all right, wait for it. Well, this deal when I was on stage, I said, Sam, can I do a give back where I make an offer and then a percentage of that goes back to the, and he's like, absolutely. I go, great. So it's not going to be $10,000 per customer. It's going to be $9,000 per customer. Okay. Cause I'm going to give a thousand back to the association. Wow. Take a guess. Just take a guess. If you had to guess, take a guess how many emails I'm sitting with right now in my inbox. For, for this offer. Yes, ma'am. I'll say 10. Higher. I would That's 10%. Say, That's pretty good, right? 100 people in the audience? No, no. There is over 1,000. There is 1,000. He had set it up for 100. Okay. They opened it up to the country, so they ended up getting 450 online. They ended up getting a, over 1,000 viewers. So what's your number, Sydney? I was thinking around like 250 like people, emails from different people or I got, I got less than 250 emails. I got probably about 75 emails wow. out of that That's 75, so right. Out of that 75 emails, I have 22 that want this deal. So guess what, how much this give back earned me. Beautiful. Beautiful. A lot. Right. My salary. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's my math right there a lot that would be my math <laughs> so but, it was worth doing it it was worth giving a dag on about my customer right it was worth going in and saying what can i do to make this better how and, can i fix this problem for you and it, it shows character you know i think at the end of the day you know you showed a lot of character number one going to somebody else's keynote that says a lot <laughs> to me right right i mean some people think I'm, you know, my, my part's done and I'm, I'm, I'm on to something else, yep. but just being in the audience, you know, what is, is it uh, John Lennon that said the secret to life or success in life or something is just showing up, just not, showing up, I completely butchered that quote, but um, <laughs> somebody else said, um, um, what is it? Two thirds of success is showing up. Yeah. Was that yeah. Woody Allen? It, I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, one so anybody have any questions? We got about three minutes left. Anybody have any questions? You can put it in the chat or you can just speak it out. 
I don't have any questions, but I just want to say how absolutely blown away I am by like all of your plans and ideas. They just stuff that would never come to my mind. And then when I hear it, I go, wow, that's impressive. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. And you know what? To me, I'm like, I'm always looking at my idea like it could be so much better. What am I doing? You know, and I'm, I'm constantly like pushing and pushing and trying to make it well, way better. You just we did not script this, everybody, but you just <laughs> helped me get a segue. I think it might be a good closing story. Um, and I don't know if you've ever even used it in any of your talks, but you just one day again, you were walking by my office and we started talking and you told me this story about this swimmer. Do you remember this? Do you use that in your talks, by the way? No, um, no, <laughs> I know. But but you did tell me like I, you have to. I haven't had a chance well, to yet. But yeah, well, here can I can we can we introduce it here? It's I yes. love this story. Um, so about improvement, it's about really just you know, continuing working the craft, so to speak. Can you share the story about the swimmer if you don't mind? Yeah. So in this, this talks about two things. This talks about being open to, to listening and mentoring from others, which is huge. I would tell you right now, I would be nowhere without my mentors and I chase mentors like it is like, like nobody's business. They so just here's heard the a story. speaker last mm -hmm. week who said the exact same thing. So, oh my God, you, guys, you got you and don't wait for them, like chase them, like chase them down, like listen, don't and don't expect everything from don't expect your mentor to give you anything if you don't go do the work. But here's the thing. So I'm swimming every morning, right? I love to swim. You you get me on an elliptical. I hate you. You treadmilling is a way of saying, you know what, just gain weight, right? Because treadmilling is horrible. Like I don't <laughs> like any of that stuff, but but swimming, I love to swim. So I would get up every morning and I, and there's this lap pool where I live. So I'm swimming my butt off every day and I can do so. And I'm, so when you go one way in a pool, it's called a leg. When you go both ways, it's called a lap. I could do a leg and a half or three quarters of a lap. That's all I could do. And there is this lady who comes in every morning and she's swimming like right next to me every single solitary morning. Now I'm like struggling with my, my leg and a half. She's like annihilating like 40 laps. Like it's nothing. Like she's just stroking. I hate her by the way, because she also has this, just this perfect body and she's like stroking every day. I'm like, Oh my God, you suck. Why don't you have a bit of cellulite? I have it running down my ankles. You have none, right? And so she's like killing it. So one day she says to me, um, you know, you have very durable muscles and you could actually swim about 10 laps. She goes, you just have to change one thing. She goes, can I show you something? Of course you can. You, you are clearly Neptune's wife. You can show me anything you want, right? And she says, um, she goes, okay, it's not about your stroke. She goes, don't get me wrong. You do not have an Olympic style stroke. Excuse me. Right. She goes, don't get me wrong. She goes, but she goes, you know how to swim. You know, the mechanics, this is what you're doing wrong. She goes, you're holding your breath. And now I'm going, oh my God, you really are married to Neptune because I don't have gills. Like I have to hold my breath underwater as do most humans on this planet. And she goes, no, no, no. She goes, swimmers don't actually hold their breath. She goes, this is what we do. She goes, we take a deep breath in. And then she goes, the entire time we're swimming, we go, shh, shh, shh. And then we take a deep breath in. She goes, so we just breathe differently. 
So we take a deep breath and then we blow it out three times. Or she goes, and as you get better, you can throw, blow it out five times. You can blow it out 10 times. And she goes, and then we take a deep breath in. And she goes, and we keep doing this. She goes, Michael Phelps can do it like 20 times. And I'm like, really? She goes, yeah. She goes, and that's just when he's doing a regular stroke. And she goes, if you ever see him do that well tail thing, he could do it for a lot more. I was like, wow, right? So I'm like, and she goes, yeah, one thing swimmers work on is they constantly work on, but they call it lung expansion, like how much air they can take and hold in their lungs and, and that type of thing. So anyway, we're talking about this and she goes, just give it a shot. She goes, just do the stroke as you normally do. She goes, but breathe differently. And she explained to me that, by the way, that holding your breath um, starves your muscles of the oxygen that it constantly needs. So if you don't starve your muscles of oxygen, you'll keep going. So I do this thing where I'm doing this new breathing and it's working. I get all the way to the end and I'm not like going, <sighs> I'm not dying. I'm not panning. I'm not doing all that craziness. So she goes, so we do that going down. We do it going back. And she goes, okay, great. Now do 10 laps. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure I could build up to 10 laps. She goes, no, do 10 laps now. I was like, oh, okay. And now you got to know in my mind, I don't think I can do 10 laps. Like mentally, I don't. And she goes, I don't want you to think about the 10 laps. She goes, I just want you to go until you get tired. How about that? I'm like, great. So I start doing this new breathing that she's talking about. And she said, when you get tired of doing this stroke, just switch to a different stroke. She goes, but don't change your breathing. I was able to do 10 laps five minutes after this woman taught me how to do this. Now, here's the cool thing. Did you guys ever see the lady who swam from Florida to Cuba? Do you know her name? I don't know her name, but I remember watching the video of it. She lived in our complex. That was the lady. (laughs) She lived in my same housing. That was her. So yeah, so yeah, she's older than me. She has no cellulite. But I'm literally getting taught how to swim from like an Olympic swimmer, like stroking it the whole time. See, so many takeaways there. One is you know, being open to hear from somebody else, you know, putting it into practice right away. Right away. Just, you know, and and that's a mentor. That was her, that was your swimming mentor. Going after possibilities that you think are impossible. You think they're totally impossible, but people see it in you. When, look, when she said do 10 laps, I laughed at her. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll build up to that. And she goes, no, now. And I was like, like right now, like, do you know how old I am? Like right now? she's like and she looked at me she goes honey I guarantee I'm older than you do it and I was like okay and and in my mind I was like I thought I was gonna fail and she knew I thought I was gonna fail and she said hey I know right now you're thinking this is gonna be impossible I don't want you to think about the 10 she goes what I want you to do is when your arms if your arms get tired just switch up to another stroke she goes just do and we talked about the different strokes you just just switch up to another stroke she goes if anything do three laps of this stroke do three laps of that stroke do three laps of this third stroke and then just one lap left when i got to the end and i did 10 like i i almost cried because i couldn't believe it and she goes i knew you could do it she goes you'll be doing 40 laps in a couple of weeks that's awesome that is awesome guys i could talk i knew it was going to go fast and it went (laughs) extremely fast um Donna said in the very beginning that she likes doing homework. So I just want to give that gift to you all as well. Um, there's a lot of takeaways from this talk. Um, I'm going to post it, um, but you were hopefully taking some notes, um, but there's a lot of takeaways. So I'll put a little spot in Blackboard for you to um, do, 
it's an open-ended just some takeaways things that that and my um, email is here too i would love if you'd share some of those with me that would be great i love that yeah that's my actual email there's no assistant that's going to check it i'm not listen people think no. i'm more bougie than i am there's no assistant i'm gonna check it that's, that's my awesome. email feel free to email me thank you so guys give it up for donna and i would love to know some of those takeaways i really would i will share those with you i promise oh that'd uh, be awesome thanks rick so thank you so much, Donna. I really appreciate it. Hope you guys You're all welcome. have a great rest of your day. And um, we'll be back here again next week. Thanks, Donna. Bye. Talk thank to you guys later. Have a good one. Bye-bye.